Hello and welcome to episode 50 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have a review of House of X2, The Uncanny Life of Mora X, and Powers of Ten 2. We are in this together now, you and I. This is your spoiler alert for House of X 2 and Power of X 2 and the issues that came before. This is Matt, and I'm joined by my co-host Noah. Hey there, and we are definitely in this now. Like this, these the series is fully kickstarted off at this point. So yeah. uh, Noah, I know that you're pretty excited about these uh, these two latest issues. So um, give us a little bit about your your feelings, and then we'll we'll go into a deep dive here. Yeah, it was well, everything I would have hoped for where it it started answering questions rather than posing more questions about the setting. So we've, you know, now it's, it's answered a lot of questions about the setting. Everything is completely set up so that now we can just let the plot of all the different timelines drive itself forward. Mm-hmm. So it started posing like, okay, now we've done all the setups so let's now show all the obstacles and getting in like, you know, what are the objectives of each of these characters? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great, it's, it's these two issues definitely sort of kickstarted the action in the books. So we're going to start seeing more, you know, more development of these characters and uh, the world that they're inhabiting right now. Um, it's pretty great. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's do a little bit of, uh, House of House of X uh, number two. That's the uh, more Metagrit uh, issue. Um, yeah, we see sort of her lifespans um, go a little bit further each time. Um, now, let me ask you a question before we go too far. Were you sort of taken aback by the first one when you were reading it linearly, like sort of like through the book, and it was like, um, I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but she got on the plane and the plane crashed and you're sort of like, Hey, what's going on here? And then you, you flip the page and you're like, you know, you realize this is another life cycle. Like how did that affect your, your reading? It was a gut punch by like every time that she died or made a new decision. It was like our literal, like emotional gut punch. I mean, I like the character. I don't know much about Moira McTaggart, but I, whatever I have read with her, I know she's a staple of the comics, you know, mm-hmm. So having this, you know, reveal of what her place is in the larger universe is pretty amazing just off the bat. I mean, the first couple pages were a gut punch where it's sort of like, oh, she lived a normal life and then died. And you're like, wait a minute, what? And then they kick back again. You're like, holy crap. So, yeah. Um, it was it was a very weird thing to sort of have like a comic book that like started, stopped, started, stopped like three or four times it was like you know it wasn't your traditional like one to 20 page issue it was like one to five one to six one to seven it was it was a very interesting way to to tell a story yeah it was i really liked it it's it reminded me of the famous watchman issue where dr manhattan's jumping back and forth in time mm-hmm. not as out of order as that is but it does have a sort of like, you know, it uses the comics medium to play with the idea of time, you know. Mm-hmm. It's the time is a flat circle, but in, in our case, it's time is a flat rectangle. So it's a flat comic book. And uh, so you can you can view it like the higher ups, the higher powers can, like Dr. Manhattan. You just look through time. And in this issue, I guess it's destiny. It's sort of the one viewing the time and space like it's a comic book, you know. 
So this is very Grant Morrison-y, Alan Moore issue, I felt. But it's very Hickman at the same time because he explains it all, you know. He doesn't just have it all be a metaphysical explanation like Grant Morrison or Alan Moore would have. Yeah, what was uh, what was pretty interesting, it was like the first time you have the gut punch. Yeah. You have, like, you have a couple cycles until you get to the end, and you realize, you know, holding the – well, if you're holding a physical comic book in your hand, you're like, not quite at the end. There's Something's going to happen here. Something's going to happen here. And yeah. Sort of like working your way through, like – like she would have had to, to like work her way through to experience these, hit all these obstacles, figure out a way to get through them. So it was almost like the same experience that she would have been having, that you were having reading comic. You knew that like you had to get through story two to get to story three, to get to story four. And you're just sort of like working your way through it, knowing that like, the end of two is not going to be good. The end of three is not going to be good, but you need to go through it to, to, to learn the experiences to get to the, to get to the end point where you can complete, you know, the task with figuring out all the obstacles in your way. So it was a very interesting way to do a, a comic book. Yeah. I really was amazed by it and it blew my mind as I was reading it. Uh, Not only because they did, uh, they did callbacks throughout the issue of repeated panels as well. And we'll get into that, but they repeated panels and page designs from previous issues of powers and house of X, just to put it in context of Moira's storyline. So with that, do you want to dive into it? Before we do that, let me ask you one question because I read it as a, I read it as a physical issue so I could hold it in my hand and know how many pages were, were, were still sort of to go. You read it digitally, right? So you have that but you kind of, did you have like the timing in your head of reading so many comics where you knew how many page turns you still had to go? Like I, I, I just know how the experience no, like, of a physical issue to a digital issue would have worked with, with this kind of storytelling. No, this, this series has been a revelation as far as digital storytelling goes. I'd like to, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to double dip on this and get the trade when it comes out, both trades, if it's separate and if it's one trade, that would be great as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. I'm. I'm really looking forward to reading it physically, but reading it digitally, I never know what's going to happen next. It's really great to read it panel by panel and just sort of isolate it. But at the same time, I, well, as we'll see in these slides, I did take photos of the actual pages because the design in this issue, uh, throughout the whole issue, how they work around panel design and page design to ele- to sort of elaborate more or to illustrate sort of how time works in this is pretty amazing. Um, so we'll be appreciating this issue not only on a story standpoint but also just on an overall design because uh uh this isn't silva drawing here this is uh, this is laraz right i think yeah laraz is yeah. uh laraz is the uh the house of okay that. and then, and then yeah uh, so laraz is laraz's art like his panel and page design it's amazing in this about like it really illustrates her emotional journey and everything in its in its design. We'll we'll get into that as we go through. But no, reading this this book, these this whole series digitally has been amazing. Um, and I can only imagine it's probably just as amazing reading it physically too. But reading it panel by panel is great. So um, one more question before we do the uh, the the deep dive here. Do so you're reading? Do they have the the guided view app where it's sort of like 
moves yeah. around to the to the word balloons almost like in a cinematic feel yeah it's like yeah it's like comiXology the marvel insider app is great i, I wish i could I sign up for marvel unlimited and then go back and just read everything um but sadly can't afford that right now but right now just reading these issues one by one is pretty awesome and um I've gone back recently and like all the other digital codes that I've like re like, you know, that I've redeemed, I've gone and read other issues like panel by panel and it's pretty great too, but you don't get the, like what's great about this series is, is that there aren't very many like double page spreads or even splash pages. Mm-hmm. So something like that is lost in a digital format, I think, because even if you're reading it on an iPad, there's nothing like turning the page and then getting a double page spread. Sure. Um, I think there's nothing like that. That's what I miss in the physical copies. But since this is a Hickman book, like you don't, you know that nothing like that's really going to happen because he's not, that's not how he writes. So, yeah. He's trying to cram as much as he, yeah. as he can. And there's a 20 to 22, but well, these are like larger size issues. So even, even that considered, he's trying to cram as much as he can in here. And I think only the first two, I only think House of House and Powers 1 were the double size. Now I think it's more, at least it's feeling more like the standard 22 pages from here on out. Um, I'd have to go these back. Two issues were, yeah, these two issues. Um, yeah, but this, yeah, the design of the, these whole books, Hickman's got a real, you know, and we'll, we'll end it on the, the, it's interesting, the soapbox that was an issue Stanley's soapbox that was in issue two of Powers of Ten, that uh, that soapbox plays into sort of how Hickman, like it seems like Hickman wrote this. It's, it's like okay. it's interesting that they chose that quote because like it illustrates sort of what Hickman did with this series. All right, but yeah, so starting off, uh, House of X, power, uh, page one, House of X issue two, page one, starts with an apocalypse quote. If you can't, you can find it in you to survive if you are worthy, then I will make you into something more than them, something eternal. And uh, interesting quotes, and I've, I've highlighted some of the text stuff in this issue because it's just as important as the illustrations in this, mm-hmm. and the design of how it flows is amazing. So uh, going forward, we start off with Moira McTaggart uh, as a sickly child, most likely when her mutant powers are developing is when she's sick, I'm guessing. Yeah. And then there's some religious symbolism in the background because this, this, uh, this, uh, this, this series clearly has something more to say than just about the X-Men, but about society and religion and all that stuff at large and evolution, all that things. So mm-hmm. having a loaded symbol like a cross in there, you kind of fits with the storyline and the themes. And this is one of the repeated panels that goes throughout. It talks about how normal her life is, how normal her family was. This was a gut punch right here. Like this is the first one for me. Um, because that like, I was like, Oh yeah. Cause you look there she says two boys, Callum and Dean and one girl, Abigail. And uh, you're like, wait a minute. No, those aren't her kids names that we know, mm-hmm. you know, that's not, that's not Professor X's kids. And so when you see that, that's sort of the first gut punch. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, kind of blew my mind when I read that. Then, um, then we start off and we find out what's really going on and that she was a mutant, you know, um, birth gave, uh, came into being again as a fully sentient being who had full knowledge of everything that was happening. And her parents just think she's a genius. Mm-hmm. When in actuality, she's a mutant. And then we get this 
flash forward of her what we don't know right now is that this is her telling or like you know this is charles seeing into her mind Mm -hmm. um in that earlier sequence that we saw in the first issue of powers of 10 and um just sort of a great i just sort of like this panel i like um I like Pepe Larraz's versus Silva's uh, artwork because uh, Larraz is much more textured and, you know, has a lot more cross-hatching and screen tones and everything like that. So it's cool to see both of them tackle the same designs and the same kind of illustrations. And then having um, Gracia's colors on there, um, you know, just to unify them all in one color scheme is pretty great as well. Yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a, this, this whole series is just beautiful. Um, and then this is where we get, this is interesting. And this is an interesting issue because it, it bounces back from standard comic book storytelling with panels and word balloons and dialogue and narration. And then they'll all of a sudden cut into just pure narration in these pages right here. Uh, it was an interesting way to mix prose with, uh, with comic work. So this is a close up on her eyes right here. Mm-hmm. And her telling the story and what seemed to be a gift, something of a blessing wasn't a blessing at all. It was a curse. So this is the first moment where she realizes that she needs to take a side on the mutant sort of uh, issues, I guess. And um, here's another repeated panel, one of her many lives where she didn't, nothing happened in her life. I mean, I mean, nothing um, like she didn't, like it wasn't her first life. Um because she discovers Charles Xavier. Then um, we meet Charles. He's giving a speech about uh, mutants being out there in the world and uh, comes out as a mutant. But then this is the first gut punch right here. Oh, so, yeah, definitely. So Meyer jumped on the first flight she could to fi- find to America and died when her plane crashed into the ocean. And you're like, what? And this, this page sort of illustrates the obstacles of the issue. Um, it, it reminds me of uh, like Edge of Tomorrow or Groundhog Day, you know, mm-hmm. where it's sort of like dying or reliving certain things is more of an obstacle than it is like a chance to do things over. Like it's, it becomes more of a, not just a power, but like a curse to the, the characters. And this is sort of where you get that. It's just sort of something grim about it. Yeah, the uh, what you mentioned. What, what was the Tom Cruise movie where he had to? Yeah, same day. What was the name of that movie? Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, this was very yeah. much very similar to like you get up to a point, you learn, you go back, and you have to get to that point, figure out the next obstacle. You might make it a little bit, and then something happens to you, and you go back. So yeah, it was very much like that. Yeah, but in that movie though. Like the the obstacle is like, you know, he's only limited if his blood gets transfused or something like that and the alien blood gets sucked out. And then later that there's another obstacle to her learning, like reliving and learning. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty interesting when we get to that. Um, this is sort of where she decides that she wants to uh, basically cure mutants Mm-hmm. And we have this is this is the this is the panel that's right before not right before but before that other panel with the plane before she dies that time. So this is her discovering Xavier, and then after the plane, after that reincarnation, she comes back, and this is 
this panel is repeated multiple times and it's pretty great to see like the only thing that's changed is her, you know? Yeah. And right here, she doesn't want anything to do with Xavier. She sees him as arrogant and uh, full of himself and doesn't want anything to do with his sort of uh, mutant utopia that he wants to create. She wants to sort of give mutants a choice to be super powered or not. Mm -hmm. So, then we get this interesting bit of dialogue and uh, we find out that it's, it's destiny talking and she sees every life that, um, that Moira is going to have and that she's going to affect and basically tells her that she's going to kill her and she's going to be reincarnated, but if she decides to do anything else like cure mutinism, she's going to come back and kill her again, and so on and so on. And if you try to kill me, I'll foresee that, so I'm going to kill you. That's Destiny speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a brutal sequence right here. Def- definitely. Um, I don't know about you, but like faceless characters like this, they always freak me out. Like this is sort of a, you know, the 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 lack of expression, you know, mm-hmm. it's very elemental. It's very, it's very scary. Uh, I just sort of, I, I like the design here of just destiny being something that's not, not friendly and not nice and uh, very freaky. Uh, I do love this panel though, of her lifting up Moira's chin menacingly. Yeah. Um, great drama on these pages. Love the backlight right here. This nice little, uh, this this nice little like highlight across these characters right here is pretty great colors um and then she gets pyro to burn her slowly which is brutal just brutal sequence of things yeah um but it's destiny's way of punishing her for trying to interfere with mutant kind and um yeah it's 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 brutal and uh I didn't show the panel where she's actually burning, but I showed this, this panel I think is, it illustrates it beautifully. I kind of like how sort of, this is sort of less is more. Mm-hmm. This is as detailed as it gets in her being burned. But, uh, so she comes back mm-hmm. this time. She sees through Xavier, sees something that she likes. And that's sort of where their relationship that we're more used to comes into play. And she lives through all the normal, all the normal like X-Men timelines. Mm-hmm. So we got this great, you know, classic first class um, X-Men. We got the Claremont Byrne X-Men. We've got the pre-Secret Wars X-Men. Hick- Hickman's written X-Men. Written by Hickman, yeah. Yeah. Um, then we get, but at the end of it, uh, all the mutants get wiped out by the Sentinels which is something in, you know, in current X-Men continuity, that is sort of the, the fate of all mutants is that it, in the end, they always go extinct when the machines take over. Um, what's cool about this sequence of pages are, is that as she gets more involved with the X-Men, so all the previous pages have been pretty like straight horizontal panel pages, mm-hmm. wide shots throughout the page, horizontal to each other. Um, and then after, as soon as it goes, you get these more extreme angles and they get more extreme as the pages go as she sort of descends into the world of X-Men and becomes yeah. a, a key player in it. 
So this is another time where she's reincarnated and she goes to the of all this stuff. But in the end, it always happens the same way. Bolivar Trask convince the Sentinels and they wipe out mutant kind. Mm-hmm. And then even here, the angles get even more intense when she decides that she wants to wipe out all the Trasks. And uh, that doesn't do anything because uh, the, in the end, the, the Sentinels just are inevitable. Like, you know, an, an artificial intelligence taking over and wiping out mutants are inevitable. And I love this. I love these two pages together. They're just great. Um, yeah, the the sliding panels, the two before were, you know, slowly sliding, and then these were these are sliding downward even more dramatically. But as yeah. it happens, as things reverse, you know, these are these are sort of sliding upward. So it's a it's a way to show you that like that one timeline was was going fast to the this, to this one point, and then you got here, but all of that sort of came back and leveled out. Yeah, man, I love this uh, this action shot right here of her killing all the Trasks. It's just a really well-composed page, and I like, you know, I, I mean, from working on Life Cycle, I love doing like this, where you have one yeah. character, you know, interlapping with all the different different timelines and things like that, or different locations. It's just a great page. Um, with that one, you can almost see the gun sort of like yeah. from like shot, hit shot hit shot hit shot hit and then yeah even on the on the third one that gun barrel is lined up right on the on the site of uh of the the head of that that character walking in it's yeah. a it's a straight line there so yeah it's a great it's a great design i love again i, I just sort of love when uh colorists aren't afraid to use red and green complementing each other you know in corners um yeah. It's great. It's just great. And then I love, I love this page because this sort of flows into where she's going to go next. Um, so it's, it's going down, but now it starts to ascend and that leads us into these vertical panels where she was horizontal before. And then she started going angular descending into the X-Men thing. But now it's from here on out with Magneto, it's vertical. And uh, it's interesting that like the, 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 the book basically switches formats slowly as it goes and you get these nice perpendicular pages Mm -hmm. and then apocalypse comes in, you get back into these sort of angular things and um, we'll get into those, that sequence of events. There's the inevitability of the Trasks close up on her with the gun. Great, great hatching, great uh, screen tones doing the different textures. Love that. Um, yeah. when she goes to Magneto, you get these vertical, not horizontal, sorry, vertical panels. Um, I love this octopus squid throne that he's sitting on right here. Um, and, uh, Magneto's rage, um, before the Avengers and X-Men wipe him out. Mm-hmm. And then there's these other vertical panels where you see apocalypse, reaching out his hand and uh, later in powers of 10, this is really interesting. Bring them both back to back. Um, we had a question at the end of powers of 10 as to who the old man is that Logan is referring to in year 100. Yeah. We and, find that out. Yeah. But we find it out in the same way that he's introduced here where you just see his hands first. So I knew immediately when I saw his hand, 
in powers of 10 number two, I was like, Oh, that's apocalypse because they set it up here. So I thought that was a really cool, neat way to stay consistent. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, she joins up with as one of the four horsemen gets rid of all the, all the Avengers and the X-Men and tries to elevate mutant kind. But in the end uh, you see um, that you see the first appearance of Nimrod in this universe. And uh, so this is, this will come into play in powers of 10 as well. So that Xavier and Eric know about Nimrod's inevitability in the timeline. And he's an important character in the powers series. And then I love this sort of just blank panel, just one line, you know. Then we go back to uh, these like exact same composition, exact same color scheme, but just it's it's just uh, Laraz's take on this sequence from Powers of Ten issue one. And you get back to these horizontal panels. Mm -hmm. Things are back in order. Like I said, we've we've seen this before. I just love that. They didn't repeat, they didn't like, you know, copy and paste Sil you know, Silva's panels. Laraz drew them himself. It's pretty great. The same color scheme, but it's his expressions, you know, his lines. It's great. But this time we know what he sees. It's just, it's, yeah. it's, you know, we see it in a different context. It's great. I just love that. It just, that, that made the whole issue for me right there. Yeah, it's a it's a great uh, way to use the the medium of comics to to tell a story. Like we saw this from one person's point of view the first time, and we're seeing it from the other person's point of view the second time. So it's the same story, but slightly different perspectives. So it's one of the interesting things you can do with with, with comics here. Yeah, and it's also when you think about Marvel and DC, you just think of them as the sort of corporate machines of comics, you know? Mm -hmm. And we know this because like, you know, even, even boom studios and dynamite does this. If they can repeat panels without changing anything and just putting the word dots in there just to increase, you know, like, you know, the, 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 the time between uh, a deadline, you know? Yeah. Um, they'll do it. But for this, they didn't, you know, that, that, that LaRaz drew all these over again and his style is amazing to me. You know, mm -hmm. they didn't just copy and paste Silva's. It's, it's uh, just, uh, I love that. That's just good craftsmanship. And it's, it, it serves the story. Like you said, it's from a different POV. So we use a different artist, you know, it's, it's, it's just great. Then of course I, I, I copied all, all the time, her old timeline. It's, it's spread across a couple pages, but um, yeah, there it is all together. Um, yeah. So before we go any further, like I saw somebody online saying that one of these is a circle that never, never finishes. Um, mm. and so somebody's, uh, speculating that, uh, it could be a circle, which makes sense from what we, we saw earlier that always continues, but no, this is, this is a pretty cool graphic. Is a flat circle graphic. It's uh, it's what it's what makes Hickman Hickman is that he does this kind of world building detail. Let me um, let me ask you a question before we go with too much further. Yeah, the fact that it looks like uh, Spider Man's logo. Do you think that that's a uh, 
uh, uh, a wink or a nod to, to anything or, or what? Yeah, there's a web of the Spider-Verse kind of wink or nod. Yeah. Yeah. That might be. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, but yeah, that was the end of uh, that was the end of House of X issue two. Mm-hmm. Great issue. I think this one again, kind of like what we talked about with Mr. Miracles. Like you can kind of take e- any issue of Mr. Miracle out of context and read it and appreciate it as its own thing. But then, of course, when you read it together, you appreciate it as one whole story. Uh, this is probably the only issue that you can say that. Like this is a complete story almost within it. Like this could have been number one or just a one shot. You know, this issue was great. It had a, it had a beginning, middle and an end. And it was uh, well told throughout in, you know, very inventive ways. Just a good issue. I hope it gets an Eisner nomination. I hope, I hope LaRoz and Hickman get an Eisner nomination. I hope Silva and Hickman get an Eisner nomination for this series. I think they will, but you know, it's uh, just at least for that issue, it's pretty amazing. Um, now on to Powers of Ten, issue two. And uh, we have this quote from Magneto about there's a chasm between you and I, Charles, a gap that cannot be crossed. With each passing day, I fear it never will be. And then we get on to the next sequence, which is them coming together. Mm-hmm. And this, um, after what we've learned in the last issue of X, we know now that they're, we know now what Moira knows. So they have power to sort of bring Magneto in. And I think this sequence is brilliant right here. Yeah. Um, you don't see Magneto's face. You just see his helmet. And, uh, you know, that idea of is played throughout here really well. You know, you never see Magneto's face until it's absolutely cru- crucial to the character. So you get these great images of just this faceless Magneto um, basically being reluctant until Xavier convinces him to take off his helmet. And then he shows Magneto everything that Moira has lived through. Mm-hmm. And you get all these alternate things. You get, uh, you get sort of, I guess these are big, uh, big moments from the sort of classic continuity, aren't they? Yeah, the, the one where he's in uh cuffs there sort of like two-thirds of the way over from the left yeah. that's like x-men 200 like cover right there so yeah that's that's okay. clearly a nod to the past there do you know what this is about right here with uh, nick fury looking at him in the in like the uh healing tube thing in the far right uh, you know that one's that one's a blank spot for me but okay someone knows probably somewhere yeah, it's not shocking that uh, Nick would uh, at some point uh, have a uh, a talk with him. Yeah, wasn't there a there wasn't there a story at one point when X Men continuity that uh, Magneto was a clone or something like that? Someone was everyone was a clone at some point or another. Yeah, I was gonna say Marvel. Everybody yeah. has been cloned or fought their clone or yeah. died and come back as as a clone. Yeah, or have two children as a, as a clone. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a, that's a trope that's been touched a few times. Yeah. Um, I like this panel right here of Moira holding the helmet because it's just sort of Hickman knowing his audience, knowing, knowing the comics and knowing how important that is to a character, you know, that this sort of idea that Magneto has fully let his guard down 
and that Moira is sort of holding the power that he like, you know, his basically his his in his only way of like being invulnerable to Charles and it's Moira holding it. Uh, there's just something poetic to that. And as far as like the character's history, I just sort of like this panel in isolation. Um, it's, it's just a good moment of knowing your characters, knowing what's important to them and knowing that it serves the story in that moment to show this image. And uh, yeah, it's just a good, it's just a good illustration. Yeah. So the, the longer the panel that you have over here to the right, yeah. um, I don't think it's quite the 180 rule, but they do a good job of, on this page where sort of it ends in a handshake. Yeah. Sort of like we're standoffish at the beginning. We get a little bit closer and then we get two hands sort of, we're kind of ready to shake and then they, 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 they finish on a shake. So this is, you know, for as dramatic as you can make a handshake and like drag it out, they do this for an entire page and, and they, and they pull it off. It's great. Yeah. I don't have this whole page on there again. Like I've said in other episodes, if you are watching this, just go pick up the issue in whatever way you possibly can. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah. But like we said, yeah. they, they, they do a good job of the slowing down that beat of like, yeah, we want to shake hands. We're not really sure if we want to shake hands and then they do at the end of this, the last panel of this page is a handshake. Yeah. It makes it matter. You know, you earn that handshake by the end of those panels, just by how long it takes to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, then we cut to current, we get to, uh, sorry, I guess that this would have been X-Men year one. So if we're doing with the powers of 10, this was X-Men year one. Mm-hmm. Now we're back to X-Men year 10 where we're in Krakoa after Mystique has delivered the mysterious item to them. Um, and uh, looks like Cyclops is returning from his confrontation with the Fantastic Four. And we're finally learning out what Mystique, Toad, and... Uh, um, oh, dang it. What's his name? Sabretooth. Sabretooth stole. Yeah. And uh, we find out that it's all the information on Orcus. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, now we know that uh, Xavier and Magneto and all the other X-Men and Krakoa know about who they're up against and who's trying to stop them. And uh, this, uh, this is repeated later on in, in issue in, in number, sorry, in year 100, but they basically come to the conclusion um, that they need to go and stop them. But here's also something I highlighted that panel in, in house of X where Nimrod was fighting apocalypse. So they know about Nimrod being a possibility. Mm-hmm. And Xavier thinks that this is that Orcus is behind Nimrod becoming operational because they're trying to, because they find out about a mother mold that they're making on the, on the Orcus space station that's close to the sun. So the mother mold is possibly Nimrod that will come in, take AI to their next stage of evolution and wipe out and subsequently wipe out mutant kind. So, Xavier, Magneto, all the other X-Men resolve that it's time to attack that base. And that's where we leave off on year 100. Great yeah. dramatic panel of, of Cyclops right there. A lot of great lens flares. Definitely. J.J. Abrams would love that, uh, yeah. that, that panel. Want to see J.J. Abrams' X-Men movie now. Yeah. Um, then uh, we, get, we cut to year 1000. That's our year 100. And um, we see uh, Rasputin, and uh, I can't remember this guy's name or this guy's name, but basically the Nightcrawler and the Magneto guy 
and Wolverine, okay. and we are, he's talking to the big man. And they're talking about what they stole in their timeline from Nimrod and his, uh, his mutant uh, weapon soldiers. And we see this hand and that was sort of something that was done in house of X. I just love that. That's how they introduced the character in that issue. And this, this consistency, they introduced him in this one. So, you know, it's inevitable that who, who's asking for the info is uh, apocalypse. That's a great, uh, great twist right there that now all of a sudden wasn't enough for Magneto to be the good guy in this series. Now apocalypse is as well. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? No, it's it was pretty great, um, you know, because when we did the 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 issue before, and Wolverine said, "Hey, let's go talk to the old man." Yeah, you know, we threw out a lot of theories, and this was not one of the no. the people we predicted it at all. So, no, this was this was pretty great. And I think that's because both of us are such fans of like, you know, of the apocalypse storylines, like especially Remender's like X Force stuff, you know, mm-hmm. where they yeah. they sort of explore the idea that like in any eventuality apocalypse is a dangerous character you know you never want on him in charge like the thanos i guess of the x-men or the dark side he's always bad Mm -hmm. he's always bad news but in this storyline he's good news so we're gonna hopefully find out well actually he may not be we don't know but hopefully we'll find out later we don't find out in this series we cut to nimrod he has this great sort of uh existential moment where he talks about not being you know being able to enjoy telling the truth and telling lies and he basically fries these two dudes in dr manhattan style definitely we're talking back to him um so basically he just gives the rest of his monologue to himself which is a pretty great sequence i really love this character and he's not shown up in any other comics before right he's new for this series uh so yeah i might have a little bit of a blank spot in my x-men uh knowledge um uh but uh, i don't know a lot about him i i feel like maybe he showed up in the cartoon a little bit but uh okay i'm not exactly sure here yeah so yeah nimrod is a pretty cool he's he's well written he's Mm -hmm. a very well written character in this series um but another well written character whoops Another well-written character is Zorn and the tree man who we still don't know the name of. Um, this guy isn't the, the mutant body of this character. Isn't the, the same body of the brain that's in the character. This is an older mutant who could communicate with different forms of life mm-hmm. and uh, manipulate them. But the brain is not that, that original mutants brain. Yeah, and so like the mind, I guess. This was like the like the Groot like figure we saw. Yeah. Like, in but he's he's sort of changed over over time a little bit here, so. Yeah, now yeah, now we get to see a little bit more of his skill set. So he basically he's accessing the information that they stole in the first issue of Powers of 10. Um and Zorn is being a nihilist, which is very entertaining. Mhm. And uh, yeah, I love this sequence about him just like just basically talking about how meaningless everything is. And then basically, he agrees to a suicide mission and everything, and it's yeah, 
Um, but it's great. So they unlock the information only to find out that it's not, it isn't the info they're looking for, but it's the location of the for. That's what they're doing. So they come to the conclusion, the same conclusion of the characters in year 10, that they'd basically need a full frontal assault um, on this main base uh, to get the location, to, to get the information that they um, but Nimrod doesn't know what they're, what they're going after. He just knows that they stole a bunch of different information. So, mm-hmm. uh, their obstacles are, is that what the, when the mutant that got captured, what that mutant's powers were able to do was to hide them from the machines and the, the, um, I guess like the hounds that were like, you know, would be able to sniff them out. So they don't have that mutant anymore. So now they're going in guns a blazing. Zorn's all excited about it because he's suicidal and nihilistic. Definitely. Yeah, I love that. Um, And Apocalypse is going to lead the way, which is pretty epic. And uh, more hand shots of... This this series has a lot of hand shots. So I don't know what the significance of that is. Maybe it's supposed to sort of be like a Sistine Chapel kind of thing. I don't know. No, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of hand shots in this whole series. I mean, it started out with hand shots. So the focus on hands is interesting. Maybe it's about, you know, maybe it has to do with craftsmanship, what you create with your hands, you know? Because that's sort of, I guess, the, the thing I guess you associate hands with. Create and destroy, I guess. And there's a lot of creation and uh, destruction themes going on here mm-hmm. um, involving evolution, ascension. So maybe that's well, what hands are about. Uh, I know that artists don't like to draw hands, so I hopefully Hickman early on said, hey, uh, Pepe and RB, you guys are going to be drawing a lot of hands, so uh, <laughs> get ready. Yeah, there are a lot of hands in this series. And then we cut to 1,000, and this just is where my brain was just like melted because I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. Um. So we get this huge info dump on these infographics about after this sequence, which is just weird where, well, no, no, you get this, you get this info dump before this sequence where it explains the Nimbus and the Nebius or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. The, all the different, basically like, oh, there was this planet and these scientists and these artists injected themselves, their, their minds and their consciousness into this bomb, basically, that planted itself in this, in this planet, or this sort of like, you know, this, this star, basically created this like planet hub of knowledge, and created new forms of life that are basically like raw intelligence. And then there are different levels of these raw intelligences. So like, you know, you have machines that are at a certain level, and then there's all these other different species and there's all about this, like, you know, all about this sort of uh, combination of these intelligences that sort of like, I don't know, that like sort of you can, you can ascend depending on how much is combined and everything. It was basically like Philip K. Dick's role-playing game rules is what it felt like, or uh, Arthur C. Clarke's, you know, D&D manual, probably. Yeah. So was this like the, like the, and I might have the word wrong. Is it like the, like the Kepler systems? Like, uh, yeah. And like some of that, like 
early on stuff was like almost based in like our reality, like of like yeah. uh, how we think of like possible alien civilizations that we could encounter. But then yeah. um, the those early on descriptions that were close, and then we just sort of went way off the the the, the normal scale, the normal scale we could have for talking about um, reaching other civilizations. But no, it it yeah, it did it did go wildly crazy after after that. Yeah, like you know this this uh, this whole issue is like you know really where the plot became heavy and you're like, Oh wow, all these questions are being answered. Now we're just sort of getting into the action of the story. And then you still, it comes to a screeching halt at the end of this issue Mm -hmm. where you get all these new creatures showing up and talking about how they want to combine with the sort of mutant machine hybrids in year 1000, you know, talking about eating your world mind, which is the, you know, phalanx and world minds are different levels of intelligence. Mm Mm-hmm. You got these guys coming out, the phalanx. I don't know how you pronounce that. Am I saying that right? Phalanx? Uh, yeah, I, I was saying phalanx, which is like sort of phalanx, like... sorry. The different like shields basically. Yeah, it's, like a, it's like a line of like Roman yeah. soldiers like Connecting walking shields. in unison and that they, yeah. they're not supposed to break. So yeah. Yeah, so it's the yeah phalanx. Um, yeah. This is, uh, yeah, we get these creepy celestial beings, faceless celestial beings, which is ominous. It was and, very cool. It was, yeah. you know, these um, these are very Kirby-esque sort of, uh, you know, beings in space sort of yeah. showing up, you know, giving you messages, showing up, destroying you, or having the ability to sh- show up and destroy you. So this was very cool here. Yeah, there's definitely some Galactus uh, uh, some motifs here, Galactus motifs. So we have some celestial vibes going off. And then our main that he wants ascension mm-hmm. from these guys. So that's where we're end. That's where we end these issues. Um, story wise, this is uh, this is where the, the this is the quote that bookends it with because uh, you're all the levels of the of the different intelligences. Yeah. Right here. But this is where we end it. This quote is, um, you must see by now there is no you and I, there is only us. We are together or we are nothing. Mm -hmm. It's basically a response to the quote that started off the issue about the, the why Magneto sees that he, they'll, they'll never be unified. Um, yeah. So I have a question here. Um, Do you think uh, Hickman gets a page rate and uh, he gets a page rate for, for, for writing this page here where he yeah. like puts down like 12 to 16 words of a, of a quote from somebody. That's a, that's a pretty sweet gig if he gets a page rate from this. Yeah, it is a pretty sweet gig. Um, yeah. I wonder if he gets, cause this is all his design work, you know, he's doing, I think he, he is making all these designs and putting them on the pages. So he's got to get a page rate. Yeah, it's a it's a good deal if you can get it. Yeah, so he's probably getting good bucks from from Marvel for this series. Um, and the this is the oh, if I have it on here, I hope I do. Oh, maybe I don't. What were you trying to to get? Oh, there it is. There's oh, a fan soapbox, which is interesting, but basically, 
he talks about on this is that, you know, the, the, the question they get a lot is how do they come up with their ideas? And, um, and he said that the ideas aren't a problem. The, the problem is, is that, you know, the ideas come up in five minutes, but you know, we get so many different other thoughts and the hangup is the time to develop the ideas. And so, you know, that's, that's the thing that plagues all comics is sort of, especially when you come into the big two, you know, um, you have to, there's so much else going on. There's publisher deadlines, you know, especially if you're working on monthly books, you know, you have, you don't have, you know, you have to come up with stuff really fast character development, or you need to be really prepared to look ahead, you know, but sometimes you have to do the filler issues, you know, because you were like, I was saving this for later on, you know? Um, but with this series, what's amazing is that clearly Hickman had had time to think this out, you know, mm -hmm. to develop this on the spot. Like this is uh at least that's what the vibes that I'm getting. I'm getting that this is a real passion project for him. What about you? Yeah. Um, so, Early on, there was there was some rumors that Hickman was going to come back to Marvel, and uh, one of the things I really hoped was that he was gonna he was gonna come to the X Men, and he did. Um, but I also think that right now, so far through these first four issues, um, he's pretty lucky in that like he hasn't, or at least the way he has this set up where we're doing these alternate timelines or jumping into the future, he's not encumbered by any of the current Marvel continuity. These things are, I mean, we saw the Avengers show up here for a little bit and then get dealt with, but we have not had any, um, we haven't had any interaction from any other Marvel characters in this. So yeah. like, this has got to be a passion project for him that he's had a lot of planning and he's had the ability to, to execute this, but he's not, he doesn't have to deal with, Oh wait, Spider-Man is not acting like he should be because he's, you know, currently dealing with Craven trying to um, go on a hunt and take him out. So like he's, he's, he's in a really great spot where he's, he's had time to plan and he's not having to deal with tying everything in. Yeah, and we, we, we've, we've been trying to figure out this whole time if this is a graphic novel of sorts. Is this something that's in continuity with the X-Men series? Is this a, an event book? And that Moira McTaggart book sort of threw it all on its head that it's something completely of its own thing. You know, it's not, it's all of those things. And it's, you know, it doesn't have just have to be one. And that's where I think that's just sort of Hickman's genius right there. Being able to get the green light to write this story is pretty amazing. And clearly to give, they gave him time and him and LaRaz and Silva and Gracias and Clayton Cowles. They gave them all time to develop this book so that they could be coming out weekly. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so that they gave them, they paid them probably ahead of time because they knew they had faith that this series was going to be good. That's pretty amazing in this day and age, especially for Marvel. They're the people that are so scared of losing readers that they reboot every year, you know? 
yeah. um, to take this kind of narrative risk where they're like, yeah, we're, we're just going to let him tell a story. It's pretty amazing. Now, do you want to see how other Marvel Universe characters would um, deal with these situations? Like, because I've had a lot of thoughts of like, um, and I think we touched on this earlier, like, if I was Peter Parker, and there was the ability to get a pharmaceutical that would add five years to somebody's life, like, He's got to be. He's got to be in Krakoa, like right away, being like, you know, Aunt May is this amount. You know, she's X years old, and he's like, I, I, I need this, like, and I want to see like Magneto being like, oh, Spider Man, you want, you want some of this, you know, this flower, you know, you owe me a favor now, and mm. like he could, like he could play you know, all of these Marvel universe characters um, to, against each other or call in favors. Like that would be pretty interesting. Yeah. I'd be really interested to see that. And I wouldn't be surprised if something like that didn't happen because the first issue, that's the one thing that we haven't, there are a couple of things we haven't returned back to, but that's one of the things we haven't returned back to since the first issue of, of house of X is the, is what Krakoa is offering the world mm-hmm. in exchange for coexistence. Mm-hmm. and to be recognized as a sovereign nation. So that's something we haven't returned to since we also haven't returned back to the POV of, of the Orcus. Mm-hmm. So we are, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. And yeah, if we're coming into it, if, if, if the raid on the space station is successful, you know, that's going to be the next big twist. And then, but it's going to be that sort of like, but we know that it's inevitable that Nimrod's going to be coming into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're successful in year 100 with taking down Nimrod, we know that there's an, another inevitability of him coming back and basically merging with mutant kind in year yeah. 1000. So there's, uh, they've already played with those ideas a little bit where it's sort of like, you know, we know what's inevitable, um, but do we, I guess, but then it's sort of, now not to be too cliche deep, but do we really know what's inevitable, I guess, you know? So um, do you have any concerns that like we get through um, all of these issues, 12 issues, and we just sort of get we get to the 12th issue and like some, this is all a dream. Some, somebody's mind is wiped. Uh, yeah. Somebody travels in time to go to a key point. Yeah. Keep everything from happening. Like I really hope that's not what happens, but there's that, no. that is a possibility. What, what I, the only series I've read of Hickman's that, that I like, I've read it to the end. Mm-hmm. is the the Secret Wars sort of big sec chunk. And I haven't read all of it in there. I haven't read all the Fantastic Four and all the Avengers stuff that he wrote in that amazing event. Mm-hmm. But how he ended it with Secret Wars was really great because he undid things from Secret Wars. But he moved the universe forward in a really interesting way. Yeah. So I'm hoping he does the same thing because he's capable of doing the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how he's handled other stuff too, but like in his other graphic novels, but that seems to be the case normally, right? With his stuff. Yeah. And we've already had some stuff announced. So we know that he is, he's at least 
overseeing like the side books. And I think that he's writing the main book with um, Linnell Francis Yu. Right. So even if he does sort of reset a couple of elements, yeah, we're, we're going to get a continuation of this. So yeah, uh, that's just sort of like the, uh, the mystery of 2019, the internet solicits three months in advance, like, um, and also the nature of comics, you know, something's going to happen next month. So even if it is reset, we, we, we have some timelines reverse, some timelines changed. We're going to get some more stories. So, um, it's that's be the thing. And that's the stupid thing about Marvel. And they do the same thing with the movies, right? You know, Everyone knew Spider-Man was coming back because Spider-Man Far From Home was announced, you know, and they were doing ads for that before Endgame, right? Yeah. Their whole other slew of TV shows and movies announced and stuff like that after Infinity War. So, like, you know, we knew we were getting a Guardians Volume 3. We knew we were getting a Black Panther 2, a Captain Marvel 2, that kind of stuff. Um, We knew we were getting another Thor film, all that jazz. And the same thing happens with their comics, right? So they can't leave well enough alone, right? So it's like, we can't let this series live on its own. We have to be like, oh, guess what? We have bigger plans outside of this, which I don't know. I get that when you're like, you know, when you need to get investors on board, but as readers, we're invested, you know? Especially with comic books. They, they don't know, like there's just sort of a, I know I got, this is sort of me sort of sounding like I'm, I'm uh, on the soapbox advocating for fan service, but I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm just sort of like, you can service the fans and readers by not telling them that it's going to be okay. You know, we can have some sort of suspense as to how the outcome of this book is going to be, you know, or what this outcome is going to be. Yeah. Um, and one thing that's interesting is like, I don't know how many Spider-Man comics that I've read in total, but even when I open that book and I'm reading it, I still get caught into the trap of, is he going to make it out of it? And I'm, and then, and then yeah. I get to the end of it and I'm like, that was silly. Like, why did I get caught up in all this drama? Clearly right. he was going to, he was going to make it out in the end. So that's like a, that's a, a really interesting dynamic that a, a writer who's doing a monthly series probably has the battle. Like they have to pull you in they have to give you that element of doubt, that drama. Yeah. Is your hero going to make it? And then you, you, you do get caught up in it and you, you're, you're invested in the story. But then when you, you know, you flip that last page, you just sort of like in your mind go, you know, why did I get caught up in that? Clearly Spider-Man was going to punch Doc Ock in the end and, and, and make it out of it. Like, why on page 12 was I so concerned that he, he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to make it, but that's true. That's the, na- that's the nature of monthly comics. And right. It's, it's a skill that you have to develop. Yeah. So I need to have, again, I think I made this point later earlier comics. I just need to have more faith in the creators and not get too upset with the, the corporate uh, previews and stuff like that. Um, they're just trying to get us excited and they know we'll come back. Right. They know we're going to keep coming back to these characters. So it doesn't matter what they say or what they do. We're, we're going to read these books and we're going to love them no matter what. Yeah. And this one has done a really, 
so far four issues in this one has done a really good at least it seems from you know joe blow on the street reading this this seems like yeah um they've let hickman do do what he wants um uh you know there's probably part of the uh the appeal and the 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 courting process to bring him back to being like you know we're gonna let you do what you want these are you know this is the sandbox that you have play with it we're gonna let you do it so um i wonder what his pitch was for this i would love to know that you know um maybe they'll include that in the trade like what what was his like elevator pitch to marvel when he came to them with this story yeah. yeah. So, or did he have to have to pitch it all or were they just like, yeah, just do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's a possibility. Um, I don't know if you know that there's been a, there was a uh, director's cut of uh, issue one. Oh, wow. And I, I would like to get a copy of it, but what's yeah. pretty funny is apparently like a lot of the stuff like in the script is redacted. Oh, wow. Because like, okay. I, I just, I just envisioned Jonathan Hickman sort of like, in his office with his sort of like beautiful mind, like putting all <laughs> things together. And he's, he's they're, they're in the script. They're in the script for the, for the artist. But like when you do a director's cut, like you'd be like, Oh, and then issue 12 Magneto stabs <laughs> in the neck, like and then nobody's going to so like, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the problem with the director's cut of a, yeah of a series that hasn't uh, ended yet. But uh, I would like to, one, I would like to track that down just to see, even if it's redacted, I would like to see, because I've never seen a Hickman script, but like, I think that's yeah. interesting. The, the the level of detail or the, the not the level of detail that, that he puts, I, I need, I, need, I, I, I want to see that just for a craft sort of standpoint. Yeah. I'd love to see that too. I'd love to see his, what his panel descriptions look like. Um, and if he is really focusing on hands the whole time, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I love, I, I'll definitely have to go actually pick up a physical copy of that. Um, and not just mooch off of the digital codes that you give me. Uh, so yeah, yeah, this is a, this is a pretty great series. I, I'm, I'm not been let down by it yet. Um, I'm really excited to see where it goes and I'm, I'm hooked on whatever comes after with, uh, uh, Lionel Francis, you and stuff like that as well. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm in it for the long run at this point, just to see what Hickman does with these characters. Cause yeah, it's, this is a rare, this is a rare one. Yeah. I'm probably at least in for the, 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 the main book, which I'm assuming yeah. is probably going to be the uncanny. Um, but I'll have to figure out the, the, I think there's a total of like six series coming out of this, but, yeah. Yeah, at least the, the the main one that's written by Hickman and I think he has oversight on sort of like the managing editor of like the the other one so that like okay. they at least have to fit into his sort of like overall vision of what he wants to happen. So um that's 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 probably pretty good. So yeah. You know, you'll at least have one cohesive sort of narrative going to 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 one point. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, was, yeah the, those those two issues were, were pretty phenomenal. Um, you want to get on to our, 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 our celebratory aspect of this episode? 
Yeah, this is this is uh, this is episode fifty, and I, uh, I we haven't had a chance to discuss, but we're going to reboot, right? We're going to go to we're going to go to one next time, right? It's uh, sort of like the Marvel move: you go you go so far, and then you you reboot. But no, we're going to come right. back with fifty one. Um, sure. So I'll, I'll I'll start us off, um, and I think you'll agree with me here. Um, some of our highlights are uh, the people that we've had a chance to talk to. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we were we were pretty um, pretty honored to have Philip Kennedy Johnson on to talk about uh, his process, um, and then uh, pretty recently we had Philip and Jonas um, on to sort of talk about their process together. Um, but why don't you talk a little bit about uh, talk a little bit about that? Um, you know, they they came in to talk about. Uh, how they how they work together yeah it was a great um wait for my internet connection to not screw up no you, you you're fine so um yeah we were, oh, we were talking about how okay how philip yeah. and um and jonas worked together and how that was very interesting i know for me and you who worked together it was it was pretty interesting to see that as well that, yeah and i, I kind of beating myself up issue because there were places where I, I was being with them and I had a question and they kept talking and I was like, oh, why did I interrupt them? You know, like, why does it look like I'm interrupting? Cause like, I really would have loved just to have let them talk the whole episode, <laughs> you know, and just sat back here and said, yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing the whole time. It was a, it was a dream come true to have a, an artist and a writer of a series that I was really familiar with on the, on the podcast to talk about their process. Um, and to follow up and to, and to have a repeated interview too, you know, I would love to have everybody that we've had on again, you know, um, we had, uh, you know, we had, uh, we've had great, we've had great guests on this, mm -hmm. you know, um, I think our first interview, I mean, we've had, we had guests on, but our, our first interview was with, uh, David Whalen with uh, the creator of offspring, which he wrote and amazing. Yeah. And, that was, uh, that was early on. Loved to, yeah. I'd love to follow up again, see where his series is at. And then we had Greg Schoen who was, who took the time out of his early morning in Tokyo to talk to us about Ray gun, which is a graphic novel that I can't find anywhere. It got snatched up really fast. Um, and then, of course, we had Jordan on, which was amazing. Love to have him back on again to talk about what he's working on. And we had Andre, Andre and Andrew for Tokyo Rose, which was a very successful Kickstarter. And um, can't wait to read that book. And um, we had Mike Spearman, who took time out of his well, – what, what time was it there in Australia when we were interviewing him? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Um, he was – yeah, he was either early morning or, or – or late at night uh, to hang out with us. Yeah, he was he was so nice, so generous with his time. Then of course we had Philip, who took time out of his really busy schedule to talk with us, and then Jonas, who took time out of his, of course, you know, overseas European time zone. Mm -hmm. We had Mark Stanislavski, who was on recently and talked about his great, you know, his huge body of work that he's got just self-publishes himself which is really inspiring and um i missed out on a lot of cool interviews um you had clay adams on 
Alex Schumacher. Yeah. Um, there were a couple others I missed out on too. Um, yeah. So I name? did. Yeah. I did one with um, Frank Gogol of uh, yeah Frank Inns, and uh, that book is uh, currently blowing up. Uh, I think uh, all the issues are are sold out, and uh, wow. I think the secondary market on eBay for, for Frank's book is, is, is pretty high. So that was cool to interview him before, before that book came out. So that's great. Yeah, it was, that was a great interview right there. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a great, it's been a great ride as far as we've had on and you know, the people have taken time to talk to us. I'm really looking forward to who else we can get on. I'm looking forward to having some other people back on that we had good discussions with. Um, uh, it was great to have Rebecca on early on to talk about witches, just to get her perspective on things, and then um, have Vince on to talk about talk about Autumn Lands. It was a fun episode, and then of course to have Emily on to talk about data. Yeah, um, maybe we can get, get her input on all the data that Hickman presents on this series after it's done. See her analysis of it all. Yeah, I've shown her a few yeah. of the, uh, the um, infographs. Yeah, it was, it's, it's been great. And I'm really looking forward to what we do ahead of time. Maybe the, the, the artists and writers that we get on, but if we can, you know, if there are other people in there, like, you know, if we can get some editors or letterers or colorists or something like that, you know, get some people who work behind the scenes um, in sort of the roles that not a lot of people know about be great mm-hmm. to see what we, who we get lined up in, in the future. Um, but yeah, but I think what this podcast has been about and what, what's been so much fun about it is just sort of taking the time to analyze books that we read really fast, you know, yeah. and starting out with that hour and a half long breakdown of the director's <laughs> cut of David Finch and, uh, uh, not David Finch. Oh yeah. David Finch and, uh, yeah. Tom King's Batman number one. And, uh, or even our Lee Weeks, uh, the Lee Weeks issue that we broke down, um, Tom King and Lee Weeks, that silent issue was amazing. And G.I. Joe's silent issue was a great breakdown. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's all of this podcast is just to talk about stuff like that and to bring on other people to talk about it as well. Yeah, I feel like we, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of great uh, comic podcasts, but uh, I always wanted to have sort of uh uh, a different take on like and as we say like building a story and and putting it together um, yeah. one page and one panel at a time and as we did with these slides like we we saw a lot of that with like what hickman and pepe Larraz and rb silver are doing this they're they're truly building a story each panel and like you know you'll get to a page and you'll go oh that panel four pages ago is related to this or, um, you know, this, this, this story is cycling back and going back to this panel. So, you know, they're building a story and they're, they're doing it in a different way. So it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's been fun to do it, you know, not just with modern books, but to go back and see how the greats did it. I loved our Stanley episode where we looked over his old, uh, issue with Wally Wood yeah, that was that was pretty early on, and that was that was great because we had we actually had the script on that one. Yeah, that was a great that was a great one just to see his Marvel meth- method right there of of crafting a page. Um, 
And again, talking about that GI Joe silent issue as well, just to see, you know, Larry Hanna, Hama, I guess doing his, uh, doing his thing himself, you know, and to, mm-hmm. that he crafted that masterpiece of an issue in under a week is just mind blowing still today, you know, that he yeah. made one of the greatest, like most well-composed comics in history. Yeah. It's been a good, it's episodes and I'm, I'm looking forward to our, our next 50. Yeah. I'm, and on. Uh, yeah. We had a couple of, uh, uh, inside baseball, we had a couple of uh, false starts. We we tried a few times. We, those first two episodes, we recorded those, and um, we didn't really put them out into the world for a while. And then um, I think episode three was like when we really committed to almost a weekly schedule, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Um, we've met a lot of people. Hopefully, yeah. helped a few people. Loved to, yeah, I would have loved to have been introduced these people to their work and. Uh, yeah, because these are hardworking guys doing it for the love of the artwork, which is amazing. Yeah, and if we could circle back to like how well uh, Frank's Dead Ed Kings or Dead Ed Kings Kids is doing, it's just a testament to coming on constructing comics. You know, <laughs> constructing comics, and then your book sells out. So exactly, yeah, that's just a, that's an incentive to people who want to come onto our show. All the creators out there, if you wanna, if you want your books to sell, you have to, you have to come on this podcast here and, and talk about how how you build that story. And we're pretty cool guys too. We're pretty cool to talk to. So huh? you know, you know, we're yeah, we've uh, we've built we built a good uh, built a good rapport, and uh, yeah, you uh, you have made those recently. You've made those really in depth, amazing, amazing slides. To uh, they've been so much fun yeah, to make. So yeah yeah i've I've been loving doing that and i've been yeah and you've got you've got great organizational skills and we know you seem to know when what topics to talk about and how to pick them out and uh yeah i think we work well together i think we're two years later we're we're, we're just now figuring that out probably just kidding yeah, no, I've, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm happy that we've we've got it started it's yeah. uh opened up a lot of uh a lot of avenues and uh, helped out a lot of people, I think, and yeah. just sort of um, opened horizons to, to storytelling. I hope. Yeah, I, I I really hope so too. And that's I think we've I think what we've made clear with this this podcast is that we just love this. You know, we don't just we love storytelling. We love we love the art of storytelling, mm-hmm. and uh, for both of us the way of our chosen art form of storytelling is comics, but it's, it's, you know, I find that putting it in a box is uh, sometimes limiting to the, you know, the sort of the, the impact that it has on us as people who devour stories, you know, and uh, who live our lives based around stories, you know, Um, there's so much more to these things that we just either don't read or we read really fast. And it's great to slow down and see how they crafted it. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people who, you know, when you mention comic books to them and, you know, we, we are guys who love our superhero comics, but like a lot of people, yeah. like when you say comic books, like, you know, they, they think they instantly think Batman, Superman, Spider-Man. Right. And comic books is a medium of telling stories. It's not, it's not the genre of superheroes and the genre of superheroes is an amazing way to tell stories, but it's not 
what comic books are. And I think that's a, that, that's a testament to the creators we've brought on because we have, I think, maybe with the exception of um, the couple of guys, most of the creators we've had on have never done superhero books. I mean, Greg Schoen, his, his book was a, a, an all-ages and um, Andrew and Andre's book was a historical fiction book about the uh, the real life Tokyo Rose. And Philip has done has dabbled in in superhero books, but has mostly done his own original ideas. And same with Jonas. Yeah. Um, and uh, when I had Andrew Schumacher on a couple yeah. of weeks ago, like he's doing like a web comic that's sort of an autobiographical um, web comic about his. Um, you know, his struggles growing up and then he's doing sort of like a political satire with yeah. monkey. So like, you know, he's, he's doing different things and it's not, it's not Batman, you know, standing on a gargoyle just sort of with like rain coming down on him. You know, he's, he's telling a story, he's writing it out and he's, he's doing it through this, this art form. So. Yeah. It's, it's like when people say, I don't like country music. Well, you know, it's just because you've not heard the, the country music that you like. Right. Or, you know, it's uh it's the, it's, it's, it's an art form. You, you can't just sort of um, disregard a whole art form just because you don't like superheroes is basically the thing because there's my wife is a testament to that. That's sort of what she thought originally and then discovered that there's this, there's this, there's this unlimited, potential for storytelling within the medium mm -hmm. and uh nowadays we're sort of seeing that in culture with things like you know hit tv shows and movies that aren't superhero based but are based on graphic novels or comics um it's just great to see and uh hopefully this podcast might introduce some people to that as well yeah. all right so i think we're gonna i think we're gonna wrap it up there i think that that discussion was was pretty good and uh yeah uh, i think we uh got across our points on what we want want to do so i want to thank everybody um uh, for listening to this episode 50 um uh anybody who wants to give us a follow uh, we're on twitter we're on twitter as at construct Compod. we're on instagram at constructing comics pod and we're on facebook um, we have a YouTube channel under the same name of Constructing Comics, and we'll put we'll put this up. Where uh, again, this was another visually heavy episode um, with slides, so uh, check us out there. And uh, if you could give us a rating or review, so other people could find this, we'd really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back really soon. And um, uh, as this is episode fifty, and we talked about our love of comics, I'd like to encourage everybody to to go out there and uh make some comics and put some art and story out into the world and do you want to tell them uh what's coming up uh interview wise we got lined up um yeah we uh we have a couple of interviews um lined up um uh we have uh we're gonna interview um let's see here we're gonna interview greg malone who's got a uh a book coming to kickstarter soon and uh let's see um uh, i uh i'm i'm trying to pull up my schedule here oh actually social media we have updates on that stuff all the time yeah so yeah. i actually just remembered i'm gonna have uh my buddy devon sanders on um pretty soon and he is the marketing director for spx um which awesome is expo 
and tying into the theme of, you know, using comics to tell a story. That's, that's what all of SPX is, is, is all about. So those, those episodes yeah, you, are going to be coming not up. Not a superhero book between them at that, that, at that convention. No. All right. Yeah. So uh, Noah, uh, before we sign off, I just want to thank you for being my, my partner for these uh, first 50 episodes. And I, uh, I feel like uh, we've, we've done some good stuff and hopefully we, uh, we continue to improve and get better. And here's to, here's to the next 50 when we hit a hundred and uh, we, uh, we meet more people and we tell more, uh, more stories of uh, making comics. <laughs>